time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Christy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 29 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And kiss them, too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Coffee, coffee. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? This is Guatemalan coffee. It's some strong coffee. It's good. We need it. If you enjoy great coffee and delicious pastries and all other kinds of goodies and you're local, head on over to Coffee Coffee. You will not be disappointed. Okay, so here we are. Yeah. Mid-June. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you from like March on, it's just, it's a blur. And I have so much to do. Yes, it gets super busy. It's springtime, which we always look forward to. And we mm-hmm. like counted the days down to spring, but it brings all the spring projects all the spring flowers. We're mm-hmm. just trying to do everything. How are you guys doing over at your house? Great. We're harvesting strawberries, which is fun. Yeah, that's always fun. Have all the fans in the coops. I haven't had to put the big fans out as much, uh-huh. but I did get my uh, standing power thing that's made for outside. So it's kind of like a power strip, but it's vertical. Made the outdoor. Yeah. Okay. And it has like a stake on it. And you stick it down in the that's ground. fantastic. So I can run the extension cords all the way back there mm-hmm. and I can plug multiple fans in for each run. That's great. So, thank goodness it hasn't been too crazy hot lately. It's been hot somewhat. We've had some hot nights, which is why my fans are in. Both of the big coops have electric fans. Yeah. And then the small coops have rechargeable battery fans. Yeah, I have those too. Yeah, Yeah, those work pretty well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go through some D-sized batteries, though. Well, are rechargeable batteries. Oh, I was just just buying them. We just throw them on the charger. Yeah. You know, it took us forever to find these fans where you could recharge the batteries. Yeah. It can be like every few days. Man, I got to replace these batteries again. We got to get on building the coop, too. The babies are out there during the day. Mm -hmm. Been watching so closely. And it seems to be going well. Integration is going well. Not going going well for us, too. Yeah. We're hopeful that this will not be super painful. I think once we get the coop built in Mm -hmm. there, then, you know, that will be perfect because they'll go to their own coop to sleep. There won't be. And then they just coexist in a huge run all day. I think that sounds like a perfect setup. I am contemplating trying to build a cob coop. Oh, wow. Yeah. After our talk with Teddy. I really have always wanted to do some cob building. Nice. And I was under the impression that it didn't work well in our climate, but I did some research and found that it can. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into our main topic. Oh, yeah, sure. School's ending. One last thing that we have going on. Uh Uh-huh. And Ella's graduating fifth grade. I can't believe it. Wow. Time flies. I'm not going to have a child in elementary school. That is just strange. Does that mean you can get early empty nest syndrome and just get more chickens? (laughs) I don't think I would ever have empty nest because I'll just have so many chickens. Yeah, exactly. I was talking to them the other day. I I was like, when you get older, you're going to have chickens. Both of them are like, oh, I don't know. I said, well, don't expect to come home and get all my eggs in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think it's time we move into Breed Spotlight. Yeah. yeah. And this week, we're talking the Chanticleer. Yes, which is a chicken of Canada. It is the only chicken native to Canada. Yeah. So we thought we would bring in our Canadian neighbors and mm-hmm. and give them some love and do a chicken from their neck of the woods yeah. this week. It's definitely a North American heritage breed. And like the ice bar, it was developed by a monk. 
I'm telling you, I don't think these monks had anything else going on. <laughs> I'm not sure what else they had going on, but they did develop some pretty cool chickens. They're like meditating, sitting there like, um, feeling very they're relaxed. They're not Buddhist monks. <laughs> <laughs> they're feeling very relaxed and then they're like, what should I do? Maybe I should develop another chicken breed. There you go. And then they did. They did. Yeah, very successfully. They really loved doing it. So the monk's name was Brother Wilfred Chatelaine. He was a monk in the Cistercian Abbey in Quebec. Okay. I'm not sure if he had a pre-existing interest in chickens. Don't know where this came from. I mean, anybody who's breeding chickens has to have some sort of pre- I mean, I know that these monks are in an agricultural center. Right. So I suppose he was thinking that there was not a breed that was native to Canada, and he decided to work on one. This was early in the 20th century. It's a good thing he did. Yeah. Because it's the only breed native to Canada. It is, and it's really perfect for the climate. So he worked with the brothers in the Abbey, and they worked on this breed for about 10 years, from like 1908 to 1918. Okay. Their goal was to create a dual-purpose breed that was exceptionally cold-hardy and could withstand a Canadian winter. Canada's right. cold. So if the chicken's going to be of Canada, it's going to be cold-weather-friendly. Right. We were looking at pictures of this chicken. It looks hardy. It really does. So they put in about 10 years of selective breeding, and the result was a Chanticleer. They used five foundation breeds. Okay. The Dark Cornish, the White Leghorn. Which I can definitely see. Yes. Its body shape is somewhat, but the tail, really. You definitely see the Leghorn in the tail. The Rhode Island Red. Is that part of every single chicken? Almost. Man? It's, it's like an ubiquitous <laughs> foundation breed. So he used two of the major big time layers in this chicken. So he wanted production, that's for sure. But wait, the White Wyandotte and the White Plymouth Rock. There's a lot of American <laughs> breeds. I mean, really, they're all American breeds except the Cornish. Exactly. So I also see a lot of the Wyandotte in them. I can see that, too. Mm -hmm. Like, their elongated neck kind of reminds me more of a Wyandotte. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought the like the head part of it was very Wyandotte. Oh, yeah, definitely with that comb and everything mm -hmm. the way it is. Yep. So the 10 years of breeding, the result was this large, handsome chicken with a tiny cushion comb and waddles and little red earlobes. Right. And that is to make it cold hardy. Absolutely. Those are the, that's the criteria. Mm -hmm. So you want a chicken that doesn't have big combs and waddles for frostbite. Right. Both the hen and roo have these tiny, tiny combs. And the roosters have a lovely upright tail, very leghorn, like you said. Mm -hmm. And they have sort of medium length flowing sickle feathers. It's really pretty. Yeah, they are very pretty chickens. They're just unusually shaped. Well... That's part of the hallmark of the Chanticleer. The Chanticleer forms a U-shape in silhouette. It's the only chicken that does. Yeah, it and does. If you look at a photo of one, you see it really is a U. Yeah, it is. So about 10 years later, a different breeder developed a partridge Chanticleer. Which is kind of more the iconic look of this chicken. I think you see photos of the partridge roux. Yeah. Yeah, the partridge Chanticleer roux. I mean, roux. that rooster is in a lot of art. Yes. I mean, when you think of rooster, it, it's that this partridge is what color. That pops into your head. Absolutely. So this breeder was in Alberta and he used four foundation breeds. Okay. Partridge Wyandotte, Partridge Cochin, the Dark Cornish again, and then the Rose Cone Brown Leghorn. So they kept the Leghorn in, they took out the Rhode Island Red. And they added the Cochin. Yeah. Took out the Rhode Island Red and the White Plymouth Rock and added the Cochin in, yeah. So apparently a lot of poultry folk regard the two colors as really individual breeds instead of just color variations. I'm guessing that with those foundation breeds, they have their own distinct genetics. Yeah. The Rue is definitely that body with the green tail feathers mm -hmm. and the red partridge. Yep. It's definitely an iconic rooster look. Oh, no really doubt. Is. And they're beautiful. They're really gorgeous. They're pretty large. Mm-hmm. 
So they're considered an American class breed by the American Poultry Association. The white was recognized by the APA in 1921 and the partridge in 1935. Okay. There's also an unrecognized buff variety that I think is really pretty. It's pretty, but when I think of anything buff, I go to Orpington. I know you do. (laughs) There's also a bantam Chanticleer. Okay. They're currently listed in the watch category of the Livestock Conservancy's Poultry Conservation List. I could see that. I don't see them at the local feed stores. I don't see them being that popular. No. And in fact, this is, and I know what you're going to say, but this is a chicken that if it came my way, I would want. (laughs) I'm just waiting for it. You want every chicken. Every chicken. Yeah. Holly Ann wants every chicken. Every chicken that we do, you're like, I could see this chicken at my house. Well, I could. (laughs) I'm telling the truth. I could see this chicken at my house. That doesn't mean I'm going to have this chicken. It makes me laugh like every single time. I'm glad I don't disappoint. You don't. (laughs) So in general, the Chanticleers are very good layers of large brown eggs. They lay like four a week. That's probably all that leghorn blood. You got leghorn, you got Rhode Island red. I mean, and the Plymouth Rock too. Mm -hmm. They're all big time layers. They're very good winter layers, as you would expect. They're going to take over because they're used to cold weather. So they keep laying when the other ones are like, shoo, it's cold, baby. Yeah. The roosters, the standard calls for about eight and a half pounds, and the standard calls for the hens to be about six and a half pounds. So, so definitely a large breed, but not humongous. And this, and the pictures that I look at, they look bigger than that. I think that's the body structure that makes them look so big because yeah. they're not enormous. Look at this picture that I pulled up. That's like your classic. Oh, yeah. No, you're right on. I mean, you see the Chanticleer in so much art. It really is ubiquitous. And in movies, too. They probably yes. use that because they mm-hmm. want like an iconic looking chicken. Right, that color, yeah. So this is one of the reasons that I say that they would be a perfect chicken for me. They have a <laughs> reputation for being very calm and gentle birds. Huggable. Huggable birds. We've learned over the years, yes, a color, the way the chicken looks, they all mean things. But if you get a chicken that you can't handle, mm-hmm. that means nothing. I mean, after 20 years of chicken keeping, I like a beautiful chicken, although I do think most of them have their own beauty. Oh, yeah. But my number one criteria is and will remain personality. Because you want to be able to handle them. Yes. I, and I don't want them to be mean to their flock mates, all of those things. And if I'm breeding, I don't want to use aggressive chickens. Personality first. For sure. We think this breed would be excellent homestead chickens, backyard, hobby farm. Oh, yeah. Especially in northern climates, obviously. Yeah, anywhere in the U.S. that's cold. Mm -hmm. The other thing we didn't really find too much on is, can they go in a warm climate? They're not particularly heat-hardy now. Mediterraneans would love to be in the heat. This chicken would not. All the feathering, the body mass, all of those things. So you'd want to add fans, make sure they have shade. Cool dirt goes a long way to help. Electrolytes in the summer Mm -hmm. on really, really hot days. Maybe some water to stand in. That's my Brahma's favorite. I wish mine would. I buy these baby pools. Uh-huh. The big shallow. I have to put them in there and like actually dip their feet in there. Oh, jeez. I'm like, learn. Go in here and cool off. If I put out a shallow dish, the Brahmas are in it. Have you done a baby pool? No. We just do like really big, wide like, yeah. dog bowls, that sort of thing. Yeah. They don't hesitate. They get right in. Not mine. I wish they would. That's really one of the things with the Mid-Atlantic where we are. We have really hot summers and really cold winters. Yeah. So finding a balance with our chickens, it can be hard. Yeah. Yeah. I would be worried about this chicken here in the summer. I would be too. Although I have Brahmas. You know, I want to see the salmon favorols after this summer. Yes. Yes. I tend to worry about them too. Yeah. Okay. So let's go ahead and give our listeners the clubs that are out there. So there's a Chanticleer Fanciers International Club. Okay. 
They list all kinds of information about the breed, about the bantam type, just in general, all the things you would look for from a breed club. Sure, you can go on Facebook. I do believe this club has a Facebook group. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That way you can ask questions to other people who have this breed. They might know. You can also check the Livestock Conservancy's breeder directory for stock. Mm Mm-hmm. So if somebody in your area breeds a chicken or anything. As usual, you can plug your zip code in, see who's around. Yes. The Fanciers Club does have a breeder directory as well. That's nice. And we also found these chickens at Sand Hill Preservation Center. Right. They come in the white, the partridge, the buff, but we also found a red. And I thought I found pictures of the red online. It kind of reminds me of a Rhode Island red. I can see where that would come from. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That same shape with the red feathers. So they do exist. So if you're in a colder part of the country or somewhere in the world, you want to get a cold hardy chicken that's really friendly, that lays a lot of eggs Mm -hmm. that are brown. Yeah. This is a chicken for you. And and everything leans towards that it's a very friendly chicken. Yeah. We would definitely say put our stamp of approval. Absolutely. Another great breed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another great breed. Okay. So we're going to go across the pond to our international correspondent, Fiona. So we're going to have coffee with Fiona. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, We're going to talk to Fiona and she's going to give us this week's broody report. How is the cinnamon? She's doing incredibly well. She's as reliable as she's always been. She's doing a great job. And what's even better is all of our first-time broodies are doing an amazing job too. It's amazing. So we've got Cinnamon, who's three years old. She's had multiple broods. We've got Frankie, who's two years old, who is doing a great job as always. But then we've got three first-year broodies at the moment, which are Halloumi, who's an old English pheasant fowl, and then two Orpingtons, who are Hazel and Rowan. And they are doing a tremendous job so well. And I'm hopeful we've got two more looking to become broody. So there's Willow, who's a first-time broody. But today, Miss Gannett, who's eight years old, head of the flock, she's looking like she wants to brood as well. That's amazing. I gave her false eggs. She pulled (laughs) them under her. And then I posted on Instagram, Gannett looks to be broody. And then she wanders out of the coop. Oh, no. I clicked send. <laughs> no. She's not she quite sure. She showing me up. She absolutely loves showing She's me up. She's not Lisa. quite sure. And you would very much like to have another clutch from her. I think, you know, eight years old, she's got limited time left. And, you know, she's one of our first broody hens and she's done it. She's so placid with them. She is very happy for us to pick the chicks up, do all the health checks, never bats an eyelid. She allows us to just make sure she's okay, do all the health checks. She's never aggressive. She sits beautifully. She's just so calm. She really That's is. amazing. And I'd just love to see her raise one more clutch mm-hmm. before that time, which I'm absolutely dreading, comes. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be this year because she may go on for a couple of years yet. Right. But yeah. Right. She is eight and I'm realistic about it. Yeah. It's hard to yeah. think about. You're going to have a lot of chicks running around. Oh, my goodness. You're going to be one busy chicken mama. I know. I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, we're properly registered, so we can have up to 100 chickens in total. Okay. Nice. Um, And above that much, we need to tell DEFRA that we've hatched more. 
but I think we'll probably have around 70 in the end. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of babies. Yeah. Do you have any actual Gannett babies? All the youngsters that we've got have come from Gannett's line. Okay. So there's there's some genetic connection with Gannett all the way down the line. Okay. So everyone's doing well. So we're in week three. So we're going to be looking to hatch pretty soon. Fingers crossed that everything goes well, but you're fully equipped and fully ready and prepared in case something happens, which we're praying it doesn't. Yeah, and Cinnamon is still watching her Coop TV, so she's still plonking <laughs> herself right in front of the door and looking out. But you'd be amazed what goes on in a coop all through the time. So everybody thinks that when a broody hen is brooding, they just sit. Because every time you look in the door or look in the hatch, they seem to be sat so quietly and absolutely still. Yeah. But we've put hidden cameras in. So we've seen what they're actually up to. Oh, what happens? Well, they move around a tremendous amount, a lot more than we expected. You know, your incubator turns the eggs. Right. Right. The hen is doing that constantly. So probably every hour she's getting up, adjusting the eggs a little bit, rolling them around and moving them from the inside to the outside as well. I think it, it redistributes the heat so that if the one in the middle clearly is a little bit hotter because it's got more skin contact Mm -hmm. than the ones on the outside. So she moves them around a little bit and rolls the egg. So the chicks are less likely to stick to the inside of the egg. Um, They're also on high alert for noises outside as well. So higher predator alert with eggs that they're sitting on. Makes sense. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's where it comes from. So it goes back to when they'd be doing this in the wild and they wouldn't be in their protected coops and their protected runs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the slightest noise, I mean, Ramesses, when he crows or gives an alarm call, they sit bolt upright, open their eyes fully and are looking around, just trying to make sure that everything. Well, it's like that old story that moms who are protecting their young could lift a 3,000 pound car off a three-year-old. So they have like superhuman strength when it comes to protecting those eggs. They're like, nobody come in. Nobody. I saw a video quite a while ago where a broody hen with chicks, uh, it was in India and the chicks were being attacked by a snake. I saw that. The pretty hen went crazy. Yeah, it's that mom instinct. I think she chased it up a tree. Oh yeah, it was it was phenomenal, wasn't yes. it? Yes, I'm telling really you, it's across the board <laughs> from humans to chickens to any animal. When it comes to protecting those babies, mamas get superhuman strength. It's so that yeah, stuff of adrenaline, isn't it? Yeah, it really, it really does yeah. help. Oh yeah. Like when Ella gets hit in the soccer game, you got to hold me back on the sidelines. I'm like, wait a minute, wait, what happened? Someone knocked out my baby. I feel sorry baby. for the referee. I know. <laughs> Ella says, mom, you have to stay seated. I'm like, I can't. No, but they're, they're so busy in those coops. I did wonder whether they're eating and drinking from the small drinker and feeder we put inside the coop mm-hmm. a great deal. But they do get up and have a little look around and eat a little bit and then get back onto the nest. And I mean, it'd just be like in. us. You got to stretch your legs. You know, you can't yeah. sit all the time, you know? So, oh, that's But so they do cute. that when they come out. I mean, when they, when you put them outside of the coop, 
that explosion of energy <laughs> is just absolutely crazy. Yeah. I mean, last week's video from when we did the, the podcast and the video that goes alongside it, yeah. the cinnamon exploding in that video <laughs> when I picked her up and put her outside, she she really goes for it. But her first instinct is to go for a sand bath because yeah. mm. I think this is the one thing they do miss out on when they're yeah. in the poop because okay. they can't bathe, so they're not yeah. able to clean themselves and right. actually that's something else which they don't appear to do a lot of when they're in the cook they don't appear to preen but I okay. suppose because they're outside they don't really need to put very much oil onto their feathers right mm-hmm. until we started talking about this I hadn't actually realized that they don't preen a lot but it is something which we've not picked up on the hidden camera nice they're like why bother at this point probably <laughs> I don't need to fix my hair today. Yeah, I'll be smelly for the kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not getting a shower today. Forget it. <laughs> oh, but the one thing is, I did want to tell you is one thing we do do that we haven't covered in our previous weeks is we have been candling the eggs. And it's something which people might be surprised at, that it's normal if you've got eggs in an incubator to right. candle to check on development. But we do it with the broody hens too. Okay. And there's two ways that people can do it. If you know roughly, your hen will normally come out of the coop roughly at the same time every day. So if mm-hmm. you see them coming out at 10 a.m., the likelihood is they'll be out around 10 a.m. the next day. Okay. So if you get the timing right, you can rush in while they're off the nest, grab those eggs and candle them quickly. Okay. Or the other option is to close the coop door pick them off the nest, put them into the run, and then take a little bit more time, take the eggs out, candle them, and then put them back in the nest and then open the coop door. That was just what I was about to ask you. Can you close them out of the coop for like just a few minutes and pop open that door and get those eggs and candle them at that point? Yeah. I mean, on a normal spring day, what it's about... 18 20 degrees here at the moment the booty hens will happily be off the nest for about an hour they'll do that normally all the modern incubators now the the high-end ones will give you the option to have a daily cooling off period okay and that duplicates the action of the broody hen coming off the nest going to eat and drink evacuate her bowels and have a bit of a wash and then come back onto the nest Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Our yeah. Brinzi does that, but okay. the cheap one we've got doesn't. I've been looking at the Brinzi incubators myself. A lot of them look amazing. They are very, very good. I have to say mm-hmm. the hatch rates from the Brinzis that we've had have been absolutely phenomenal. Very, very okay. good. I do very much trust the brand. And if they are expensive to buy, but it has to be said that if you stop breeding and need to sell them on the secondhand market, you won't lose a lot of money. Okay, hold good their value. Know. That is good to know. Yeah. So, what happens if when you candle the eggs, there's one that's not developing? Do you take it out at that point? Yes, absolutely. Okay. The thing is, if it's not developing, whatever's inside is dead, which means it's going to have gas build up. And as we've okay. discussed before, the eggs have pores. Or pores. In Mm-hmm. So that gas will start to come out, and it can actually harm the other eggs. So we okay. immediately remove them and take them away. Yeah. So that's an important step is candling. You have to, because if you have one that's not doing well, that's going to affect everybody. Absolutely. And the interesting thing is that you can have some which you're not quite sure about. You think Mm -hmm. they're okay, but you're not quite certain they're at the same level as the others. So with those, we mark them. 
so that when we go back, we can maybe go back a couple of days later and we'll just check those eggs just to see if it's moved on enough. And if it hasn't moved on, we'll know then that it's stopped developing and we need to take them out. Okay. No, that's all all that's very useful information. Yeah, it's definitely worth candling with broody hens. If you're serious about wanting to get the best hatch rates, treat them as if they're in an incubator in exactly the same way. And it's better for the broody hen as well. Sure. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Well, thank you for this week's broody report. Next week, week it'll be hatching. Yay! Yay! We're super excited for next week's broody report because it's going to be hatch day, hopefully. Babies. Not as excited as I am. (laughs) (laughs) So we will see you later. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. So it's time to move on to our main topic. Mm-hmm. And today we've been wanting to talk about this one for a while, but we wanted to save it to tell everyone about it when it would be more appropriate. Right, right. Because this is the time that everyone's going to be working on these things. Right. The babies are getting big. Yeah. They don't fit in the brooder anymore. And it's something we're going to be doing ourselves. Yes. So we are talking about building a coop and a run. Yes. And I need to get Joe on this coop. Yes, you do. Joe, you need to listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> So really, when it comes time to put up your coop and run, I mean, sometimes you're limited. You just have one place where it can go. Right. But other times you have some more space and you want to get really creative with it. So you can kind of design how you want it to go. There's a lot of stuff that you can design with. I mean, okay, like you said, it's all according to your space. If you're an urban chicken keeper, Mm -hmm. it's going to be exactly where you can put it. And you kind of have to work around and, and make other measures. So to add shade, to add other things. Right. But if you have a bigger piece of property and you can choose, Mm -hmm. there's certain different criteria that you want to look up to. But before we get to that, let's look at industry standards. Mm -hmm. The minimum rule of thumb is about two to three square feet per chicken inside the chicken coop. And the run is supposed to have about eight to 10 square feet per chicken. And obviously more square footage is better. Yeah. If you have a crowd of chickens, they're going to be upset with each other. It does tend to lead more to pecking and bullying. bad behavior, bullying, all yes. those things. Mm-hmm. So the more chickens you have in a smaller area, they're not going to be as happy. Right. So the biggest area that you can have is preferred. And if you can't, then you have to limit the number of chicken that you have in that area. Right. And just like anything, I mean, you figure out a way to make it work. If you yeah. only have a small coop and run, maybe you can do supervised free range every day. So your chickens are out more. The other thing I always say, too, is if you only have a small area, bantams might be for you. Bantams could be fantastic. Because they're a smaller chicken. They need smaller space. Mm -hmm. And these are the things of planning out. So if you're an urban chicken keeper and you only have a very small area, bantams might be the way to go. Absolutely. They're charming. Yeah. I mean, you just have to double or triple up on the eggs and look at the ratios. Yeah. Depending on which bantam you have, the egg size can vary, but you're talking about, in a lot of cases, three bantam eggs equal two chicken eggs. Yeah, exactly. So So it's not too bad. It's still food security. I mean, you can't go wrong, really. So let's start with talking about the materials that we're going to need for the coop Mm -hmm. and some of the pros and cons that go along with that. You and I are number one wood Wood coopers. Yes. That is what we've had. That is what works really well for us. The one coop that I built is wood. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like that is the strongest protection for your chickens. I feel like the weather-wise, you can insulate it. You can insulate it for cold and it doesn't heat up as much in the summer. Right. It's probably a good choice for a temperate climate like ours that has both weather extremes. Exactly. It's really good. Every coop that I've ever done is wood. 
I have one plastic, which we'll talk about in a minute, yes. but everything else is wood. I've always had wood coops. I love the fact that you can buy them or build them. Yes. They're easy to customize. We've actually bought wooden coops that we've modified ourselves. Yeah. You know, made it work better for the breed or, right. or whatever. We didn't like a door layout, something like that. Wood is almost fully customizable. Oh, yeah. You can do anything with it. But we have to talk about right now, there is a wood shortage. There's a lumber shortage, right. So if you choose wood, which that's what I'm choosing, mm -hmm. we're going to be paying a little bit more exactly. yeah. for the wood. Yeah. So that's a con against wood right now. One of the other cons, well, there are two more that I can think of. One is that wood harbors mites easily than most other materials. And carpenter bees. Yeah, that's true. Bees and mites, you, you can end up with both of them. One of them is a little more detrimental to your chicken oh, than the yeah. other, but they still are both nuisances at times. And of course, there's the maintenance factor. So you're going to have to paint or stain or deal with rot or anything like that that comes with time. Yes. But still, a wooden coop should last you a really long time if you maintain it. Yeah. A wooden coop, you can make the roof and then you're going to shingle it. Yes. And you're going to protect it every which way you mm -hmm. can. There's lots of free sites out there or minimal cost for coop plans. Yeah, I you can have, purchase. I have a fantastic out of print book that I love. I think they're still available on Amazon, especially used. It's called Redesigning the Chicken Coop. Okay. And it was written by two architects. And a lot of the coop designs just don't apply to where we live. Yeah. Like they have open air where they're covered with hardware cloth. And yeah. that wouldn't work in the Mid-Atlantic. But they have two basic designs in the front of the book. There's a square coop and an A-frame. And I made the A-frame. I'm a fan of the A-frame. Yeah, I, I quite like that. Actually, I really wish we could have brought that coop with us when we moved. I love that coop. Yeah. But that aside. It gives you a different place for, it's at the farm. So if you need to quarantine somebody, you and have that's a place exactly, there. That's exactly what we use it for, for a quarantine coop. So we'll say wood is good in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. The cons are that there's a lumber shortage right now, maybe right. more expensive. It can harbor some critters that you don't want, like right. mites and bees. Right. So let's get ready to move on to the next. Plastic. Plastic. So I do have a plastic coop. It is an omelet egg glue. Now see, omelet, it has a really good reputation yes. for their plastic coops being very strong. Yes. And, you know, they send it to you and then basically you did this. You put them together. Yes. How hard was it for you to put together? It was not difficult to follow the directions. Pete couldn't do it. His hands were too big. Okay. So there were, I had to crawl like up and under. Yeah. Manually do it with a screwdriver because of the tight spaces. Right. But once it's together, they're solid. Right. And in the winter, you loved the omelet it was, coop. It's fantastic. It has three ventilation windows fitted with vents. Okay. And I have Casper, the Swedish flower roux. And his wife. And his wife, Honeysuckle. And Casper has big comb waddles on him. Yeah. And I do worry about frostbite with him, but not an ounce of it in this coop. I believe that the plastic shell is double walled. Yeah. And so it's kind of insulated in its, its own way. It's extremely insulated. It really is a fantastic coop. They're not big coops. No. Honestly, I think it'll make a really good bantam coop. Sometimes I wish Omelette would make a bigger size of what they have. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess, you know, like it's all about the urban coop for them. I think it'll be hard for them to send the modular pieces if it they would were any be, bigger. If they were much bigger. Yeah, the packages are big as they are. All in all, it's a very well-built coop. It's fantastic. We're learning how it is in the summer now. Yes. They're excellent urban coops if you're in a small space or, or And a lot of times they come with their own run. They can come with their own run and it's a modular run. So you can expand it if you want to add on to it later. Right. Which that's really good. So that company has that availability. Mm -hmm. So you can go to the website. You can add extra product to it. Yeah. Omelette's really, really a good company. And there's an even smaller one. They have the egg loop cube and they have the go up. Okay. 
And the Go Up, honestly, is fantastic, again, for Bantams or a Broody Coop or a Hospital Coop. We always especially say. Especially with that Runafix. Yeah, that Hospital Coop, it would be awesome. Because yes. it's small enough that you could put it in our big run. Yes. So the chicken can be with everyone, yes. but separated. Mm-hmm. So not hurt via being, you know, bullied because they're not feeling well. Right. So when we talk about plastic, we're kind of talking about omelet. They're kind of one of the there only plastic. Few, yeah, there are a few others that I didn't really have a high opinion of. We ended up with the omelet. We wanted another wooden coop and there were none to be had. Yeah. And we needed to switch out an old small wooden coop. And I don't regret getting the egg loo. You've been very happy with it. I'm very happy with it. The one caveat about that, and we're going to talk about this when we talk about siting your run, is that it really should be in a shady spot because that plastic can heat up in the sun. Oh, yeah, definitely. So we have a fan in it. And we also, because it's so well insulated, we have a pair of large, you know the plastic ice blocks you use in coolers? Yeah. We have a pair of them that we wrap and put in there at night. And it lowers the temperature substantially. That's good. To all intents and purposes, we are in the American South. Oh, yeah. So we do get very hot nights in the summer. So one of the fantastic things about the omelet that nothing else can boast is that you can strip it down and squirt it off completely. Oh, yeah. Completely clean. If you're having a problem with something, you can clean it. And it will not harbor mites. No. And you put it right back together and there you go. go. So omelet's an excellent company. It's an excellent product. Mm -hmm. If you're in urban area or if you would rather have the plastic coop. This is the way to go. Omelette is your company. Yeah. Once it's put together, it's fantastic. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the third coop that we're going to talk about is the cob or clay or cord wood. Yeah. They're all versions of the same building material. So we talked to Teddy about this mm-hmm. in a previous episode yes. and she just did amazing things with hers. Yes. And we started thinking about it, and it's like, we first, we thought that it would be too humid here, but you looked up that it's not. I did. And the reason, well, what I found first was a lot of people using cob to build in Wales. Okay. In the UK. Yeah. And it's very moist and humid there. Yeah. So then I did some more research, and I found that there are a lot of people who build with cob in Maryland. The other, the one thing that I was talking to Teddy about that I was asking her that was my only concern about the cob was the door. Uh-huh. And she was like, nope, you can build a door right onto it you and can. you can lock it so that nothing yes. can get in. Keep in mind that you're building it with mud and plaster of Paris. Nothing's going to be able to break through that. Plaster of Paris is pretty hard. It's solid. You can you can customize your mix. So it's like part dirt, part sand, part straw. Right. You really mix it together very thoroughly. And it can be fairly thick. Yeah. And once it's set and you put the lime, it's not a sealer, but you put the lime coating on it. Yeah. It's definitely hard to get into. Yeah. The other thing is when you think about this, dirt keeps things warm, keeps things cold. Yes. So when it's a really hot day, you're going to notice your chickens digging in the ground Mm -hmm. and making big holes because it's cooler down there. Cooler dirt. That's right. So the mud and everything keeps that coop cool in the summer. And then it also insulates in the winter to keep it warmer. Yes. So if you have artsy in you, mm-hmm. and I have a little bit of artsy. You do. I'm not so much. <laughs> this is an excellent idea. And I just loved it. I kept saying to Teddy, your chickens, I mean, they're living it up in uh, there. Yeah. She has like bottle glass in there for stained glass. And you can really make it your own. You really can. It's extremely customizable. You can probably put windows in there, too, with yeah, hardwire. You definitely can. You actually can build the window frame. You can build the cob around it. Right. So you build the frames in the into the cob structure itself. Yes. It works really well. And you use hardwire. I can imagine that you put that same way that you would put a door. So yeah, there there's these are the three different 
kinds of materials that we think are great. The really cool thing about a cob form is that you can actually even build a run with it. And you can embed the wire in the cob. Yeah. Which is awesome predator proofing when you think about it. Yeah, no doubt. It's a pretty earthy, like you were saying, it's pretty earthy and artsy looking. It's a very organic shape. Yeah. Where if you look at these coop materials, wooden is the most classic. So if you want your hobby farm or homestead. Or my new thing is I like calling it a farmette. Farmette, that works. (laughs) Well, actually, technically, they are farmettes. They are. (laughs) Around here, seven acres and under is a farmette. Yeah. So if you want it to look very classic, you're the beautiful wooden coops. Yeah. The plastic is more modern and urban. More modern and urban, absolutely. Kind of does lend itself to mid-century modern. Yeah. Tucked behind a little rancher. And then you have the cob, which is very natural. Yes. Very artsy. Very artsy, very organic. Works perfectly in a permaculture setup. Yeah. All three are great in their own ways. You can even build sculpture on the outside of the cob building or you can like carve designs in yeah, it. it yeah. It can look really cool. Again, the artsy. Yeah. Not so much me. I think you're more artsy than you let on. <laughs> a little bit, but it's like it takes a while because I like I, I have a dream up these ideas and then I'm like execution. I'm like, I can't draw a stick figure. So I'm not that artsy that way. You could make really fancy stick figures. <laughs> <laughs> Now that we have our coop materials, we've built it. Mm -hmm. The next thing is really just as important is the run. Yes. Some people will do a coop at night and let them free range. That is your choice. Here in the mid-Atlantic where we are, that is not a choice for us. We are very saturated with predators. Yeah, definitely. So we only free range supervised. That is it. Very closely supervised. So our run is super important because our chickens spend the most time in the run. Yes. This is just opinion. You might have a completely different experience. I think over the years, I've come to see that runs attached to chicken coops, I feel like they have weak spots. And so all of my coops, bar none, are freestanding in the middle of a yard built around them. And I think yours are as well. Both mine are. Yeah. And I couldn't sleep at night if they weren't. I like them being totally encased in, Mm -hmm. there's just no way a predator could mess with the door or scratch at the coop unless they get into the run. Yes. So let's go through the materials and the pros and cons. Mm -hmm. We have wood post and wire, which is what I have. Which looks really nice. So the number one thing to remember here, if you're using wood post and wire, even though it's in the name, chicken wire will not keep any predator out. Yeah. I think you can get away with using it for the top of the run. I use it for the top. To keep raccoons from climbing in or hawks from coming in. And that's all it's for. But on the outside, I mean, a domestic dog can rip through chicken wire. I've seen it happen. What it's designed to do is keep chickens in, but nothing out. Or chickens out of your garden. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And that's why it's given the name. So if you do yourself a favor and you look at the two materials next to each other, Mm -hmm. you look at chicken wire and you look at hard wire. Yeah. One, you can maneuver very easily, twist and turn and even break. You can break it with your with your own hands, yeah. Hard yeah. wire, you cannot. No. So the types of wire you can generally use, you can use a hardware cloth, which is really super high gauge. We tend, tend to save that for windows. Yeah. You can use woven agricultural wire yeah. or welded agricultural wire. Yeah. I don't usually use anything that has a bigger square than two by four. What about you? That's what I use. Okay. Two yeah. by four. Yep. It's like rectangular kind of. Exactly, yeah. But they can kind of stick their heads out. Yes. When I was having a predator problem 
we had to use the even smaller one uh-huh. on the outside, just on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. So that they couldn't get the heads through right we at the bottom. We had to use chicken wire for that. Yeah. So if there's someone getting their head through and I'm worried about a predator, we wrap the bottom couple feet in chicken yeah. wire. I mean, chicken wire has its use. It does. But just as a standalone run material, we don't think that's strong enough. I have a neighbor that used it. They're not in our neighborhood anymore, but they used it for their run and they lost all their chickens all the time. Yeah. And it was due to raccoons. Mm -hmm. And raccoons' little hands are just like people almost. Oh, they're very dexterous. But they're stronger. Very strong. And they were just ripping it. Yeah, they can. And going in and just getting the chickens. So the hardware cloth is the way to go for your run. So there aren't that many bad things about wood post and wire. Obviously, I think it's one of the more attractive options. It looks really nice. That's a little bit of a con because you kind of have to know what you're doing to build the frame. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. If you wanted to look decent, I mean, I could do it, but it wouldn't look very pretty. Joe, and when you're digging those posts, yes. we got the auger. Yeah, yeah. And he mm-hmm. had to use it, the one man. And right. it, it's really strong. Like, I couldn't it's even do it. very strong. It's a harder run to build that way. It is. The only place I use wood in my runs is my gate posts, and I dig those holes by hand. Yeah. Do you cement them in also? No. I learned years ago that cementing them in makes them rot faster. We've cemented everything in, mm-hmm. and so far, so, so, far good. so good. Yeah. So, I mean, we do, we dig it three feet down mm-hmm. and then cement it about two feet up. Yeah. Just keep an eye on it at soil line. Yeah. See if any rot starts. Generally, I site it in a place and I dig, and if there's too much rock, I mean, I dig out a lot of rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole thing is rock here. If there's too much, I can move where I sighted it a little bit. One of the few other cons to wood is that it's expensive. It's more expensive to do a run that way. That's right back with the building material and the lumber shortage. Mm -hmm. Sometimes wood isn't. Sometimes it is. And right right now, it is. Right now, it is. And there's a little bit of extra maintenance with wood. I mean, everything's going to wear out eventually. Exactly. So we don't really, we let ours age naturally. Mm Mm-hmm. We haven't stained it or anything, right. so it's just aging as it goes. Mm-hmm. And it is. I watch show. It's really hard work to dig three feet down. Oh, yes, it is. And then I assist it with the cementing in. Yeah. And it's no joke. Oh, no, it's not. And then you're holding it completely straight mm-hmm. with the level there. Mm-hmm. That is really a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Putting in fence posts is one of my least favorite jobs, bar none. Yeah. I can do it. I've done many of them, but I, it's not my favorite. So next is T-post and wire. T-post and wire is what I use. That's what I was going to say. That's what you use. It's not as pretty. It's nowhere near as pretty. They're very utilitarian, but they work really well. Yeah. Now, my question with T-post and wire is, can you get them tall? Yes. So what I do is buy an eight-foot-tall T-post, okay. drive it in two feet. So it's at about six feet. Okay. One, I like that height for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because Pete has to fit in there. Yeah. Ours are... You probably started with a 10-foot high if it's going in I think in we bought feet. 10, mm-hmm. yeah, and they're 7 feet. And the reason we chose 7 was because foxes can jump up to 6. Right. So it was just to make it totally predator-proof. Yeah. We go with the 8-foot T-post. Again, we drive it in 2 feet in the ground, so it's mm-hmm. about 6 feet high. And we knew ahead of time we were putting a top on the run. Mm-hmm. So at 6 feet is, is pretty perfect. Both fox and coyote can make their way over a 6-foot oh, open fence. yeah. I cringe. There's this near me, like about five, six minutes away, another farm, and it's this beautiful chicken tractor mm-hmm. with all this electrical fence around this huge yard they have, but no roof at yeah, all. Yeah. Every time I drive by, I'm like, oh, are they still there? Yeah. Because the T-post and wire is, is a little less expensive, 
We do really big yards, but to support the ceiling, Pete builds these interesting like circus tent poles yeah, for the middle of all of our exactly yards. That's exactly how I would describe yeah. it. And again, they're not as pretty, but they're quite secure. We use two layers of wire. Mm-hmm. So we do a four foot on the bottom and then a three foot on the top. So yeah. it overlaps a bit. And then for the top, we actually use a very heavy plastic deer netting. It's so thick that the raccoons can't tear it apart. Yeah. But it's not so heavy that it can't be supported by our, our circus tent support. And then for ours, the top, we do use chicken wire that is pulled completely as tight as it can. Mm-hmm. And we did load bearing across uh-huh. the entire thing. Yeah. Like joists all the way across. And then we did the stapling of the wire so there really isn't a lot of room for anybody right. to get through. Right. So, you know, you can do it that way too. It's just learning the balance. Like our second run, we learned from the first is triple the size of the first run. Yeah. That you need more space. Right. You learn as you go. Yes, absolutely. My two biggest yards were way down the line after doing a lot of coops and runs over the years. So we knew what we wanted. There's also the option of chain link, like a dog kennel. Now, we do have one of them. In fact, that's where the A-frame coop is that we use Mm -hmm. for quarantine on my family farm. We did use a dog kennel for that, and we put chicken wire on the top to keep the raccoons Mm -hmm. from getting in. There are a couple of other places that we had to patch with wire because they have places where the panels don't meet That was my only question with chain link Mm -hmm. is the bottom. With ours, we fan out three to four feet Mm -hmm. and then bury it and dig it. Right. Dig it out, bury it over. Yeah. So if something comes up to where they think they should be able to dig mm-hmm. under, it's not there. Right, it's right. three feet out. That was my only thing with chain link because you can get those large kennels that are chain link. Right. So what we did is we have cinder blocks bracing the bottom inside and outside. Okay. And that works really well. It stops raccoons. It even stops foxes. But again, my caveat there would be you need to be checking your chickens at least twice a day. Yeah. Because if you see a hole there, that means something's trying to get in and you need to the other thing reinforce. You, the other thing you could do with that is know the dimensions before you get it, mm-hmm. dig it down. You could, yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. You could dig a trench that's half a foot. You could sink it. And you could sink it. Absolutely. That would work. And then you could build up outside mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. add dirt around the outside. Yeah, you could. So, I mean, the, or something logs, else you could do. Or there are a lot of things you could do. I do yeah. logs on the inside of ours. Even though they're fanned out, yeah. I want the girls away from the edges. Right. Yeah, we have logs. We also have cinder blocks in some places. Yeah. Yeah. The fourth one is electrified poultry netting, which I think the people that are down the road do. Yeah. But they don't do it at the top. Right. There's no way to put a top on it. And here's the other thing. The chickens, there's a four-foot fence there. Uh-huh. I guess if they fly up, they hit that first and it's a little shock and then they don't want to fly up again. Maybe. I suppose you can't do it with a breed like the Fayumis that can fly straight over or a Bantam that can fly straight over. I would think that they could fly straight over a four-foot fence. Generally, people I've talked to that use electrified poultry netting successfully are doing rotational grazing with it. Right. And it doesn't tend to be people with just pet chicken flocks. No. They're using it on a big farm. Right. And I use it during supervised free range just to keep people from going too far. I don't even have the electricity on. It's just to keep people from going too far. Yeah, exactly. So let's go to finding the perfect spot. Uh Uh-huh. So I've told the story in the past of how Joe was shocked when we got chickens because he didn't want chickens. Right. And then he was like, well, we're putting them in the back and we had to clean out the back of our property, which Mm -hmm. I think it looks so much better with the chicken coops than with yard debris. Oh, I love the way it looks. But one thing is so important, and I don't know if everyone thinks about this or not, but I thought about it, and I'm sure everybody else does, is shade. Yes. They need it so badly. Or tree cover. Yeah, something that provides shade. 
we were talking about the omelet coops and wanting shade for them. And a lot of folks that have them in a lot that doesn't have trees mm-hmm. will actually put up like a sailcloth tarp over top to keep the sun from beating down. Yep. Just anything that provides shade to keep it from heating up. And again, this will depend mostly where you are in the world. Mm-hmm. Because everywhere is so different climate right. Where we are, shade was a must. Yes. If you're having trees around, there is that possibility. You don't want big trees around that could be hit by lightning. We also put ours next to our big barn. Mm-hmm. I thought when we did that, that's one side that's going to block the wind. That's a really good option for wind block. That's something you need to think about. Is there a wind block? Do you have shade? Because in the summer, if you're in a warm area, they need to get out of the sun. And it keeps the dirt cool. And we talked earlier about that. Letting yeah. the chickens get into cool dirt. Ours are under apple trees. So, <laughs> yeah. Actually, the funny thing is, I have two apple trees right by my coops as well. The apples fall down and they're eating the apples. It's funny. A lot of our lot is very heavily wooded. I mean, it's, it's a wood lot proper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And our coops are up against those. And the shade is fantastic. One of the only cons to being under trees like that is we get a lot of stuff coming down on the tops of the runs. Yeah. And Pete goes out there with the leaf blower and just blows them off. That's what Joe does, too. Gives the chickens a heart attack, though. I mean, you have to keep an eye on yeah. it because... It can build up. It, you don't want it to build up. And the other thing is, if you're in a snowy area, the top of your run, if it snows, you're going to have to get out there, make sure it's not laying on the top of the run. I take a hoe. Literally, I <laughs> yeah. go out there with the hoe and I sort of bounce yeah. it against the top. The snow builds up a bit, but the bigger problem is when we have ice. Oh, yeah. And that's oh, yeah. tends to pull everything. There's something, just to backtrack just a second, something we didn't mention but probably should have. Before you site your coop, check your local ordinances. Oh, yeah. Always check some, that. Yeah. Some places like your coop can't be, it can't be too close to your house, but it also can't be like in front of your house. It has to be the back of the property, right. all those sorts of things. So that's just a note. Yeah. Before I, you go to a lot of work. We picked at the very back of our property. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking past three acres to get to the chickens 20,000 times a day. Ours are on the side of our house. Yeah. Uh, I really like them over there so I can look at the windows yeah. and check on them. The other thing that we didn't really talk about, which I'd mention, is a chicken tractor. It's another form of coop. A lot of times they're built with wood, but it has wheels and a little right, run so that goes with that. it. You can actually do that with the omelet too. Yeah. Move it around so they get fresh fresh grass every so day. So if you want to give them a little grassy area, but here's the thing, it's not going to be where something can't dig under it. So you have to keep an eye on that part. I actually wanted one mm-hmm. and then basically not have the run because you can get them without the run. Right. That way, I didn't really think it through completely. That's why I didn't end up with one. But then yeah. I was like, okay, if I have a run around it, I can take it out. If I can beat this big door and then I can move it close to the mm-hmm. house if the hurricane's coming. It's mobile. Yeah. So that's why I was thinking about it. Like we talked about before, in some cases, you just have what you have and you can't really change your yard. You don't have a big yard. A level site, obviously, is best. But if you don't have that, you can use block, like cinder blocks or or pavers, bricks, those sorts of things. You could even build a raised pad with timbers and stone dust Yeah, to try to level things out. I think the most important thing is that they're safe. Exactly. Whatever means that you have to do it. Yes. Having good supplies, pick a nice spot and drainage as well. Yeah, because the downpours like we got here the other night. Yeah. You don't want a flash flood. You don't want your coop downhill. No. When we bought the family farm, there were two barns. and The horse barn is very level. The barn that went for the llamas and alpacas is at the bottom of a giant hill. Yeah. And for the first two or three years, before I managed to get the flooring built up enough to stop it and divert the water, it flooded. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. You don't want your chicken coop flooding. No. It's, it's or just, your chicken run. 
Right. Either one. You just don't want it. So maybe not at the bottom of a slope if you can avoid it. So again, look at your yard. See the best place. Mm -hmm. Has all these different criteria. And just do a little research and think about what you want to do and have fun doing it. Be creative. There's lots of books out there that you can get. Yeah, you can paint any of these. Um, Barring the plastic, you can paint any of these coops the way you want them to. You can paint them to match your house. You can paint flowers on them. Or you can purchase them. Yes. Both of us have Amish-built coops Mm -hmm. that we've purchased from a local company. Right. We're lucky enough that we're about an hour and a half from Lancaster, where a lot of Amish people live, and Mm -hmm. build these coops because they are so strong. They really are fantastically built coops. And the new one. It's the first time we're going to be a first time building. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try to model the Amish build uh-huh. and see how that goes. Well, if but, you want to borrow reinventing the chicken coop from me, I got it. <laughs> the A-frame model in there really is fun to build. And I'd like to do another one someday. Yeah. But I still want to try the cob. Okay. So are we ready to move on? We to- are. Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Well, it's strawberry season. Yeah. And so I thought it might be a nice thing for us to share the recipe that goes along with our mini pavlova shells. Right. So we made the mini pavlovas for the garden party. Right. And we filled them with lemon curd and raspberries. Right. Well, I think they need strawberries in them since it's June (laughs) and it's strawberry season. So pavlovas are essentially meringue shells with filling. A lot of times you see what's the equivalent to these in the store that are not homemade, but they're Mm -hmm. like the puffs. But wait, that's a little different. Are are you talking about the ones with the indentation, like a pie shell? No. Because these are the pie shell indentation. No, no, no. These are. But yeah. I'm saying it's kind of on the same lines. Meringues are like egg whites that you're going to bake for a long time under low heat. They're all that. It's just there's, a, there's different one shapes. or two different ingredients in this too. Okay. So these are kind of like a pie crust. Right. There's something in them that makes them kind of marshmallowy in the center instead of crisp. Okay. Like the... Like the meringues are crisp. Right. They're they're made with egg whites also. Yeah. Yeah. The techniques are pretty similar. You it's bake just, them on a low heat a yeah, long time. Exactly. So again, these are kind of like a pie crust. You can make a big one. Right. Or you can make lots of little ones like we did, which is right. really cute. And Mary Berry, the British chef, she makes a tripled layer pavlova that's like a big meringue wedding cake. Right. It's really pretty. Like a tart. Yes. So this recipe only uses egg whites, like right. we were saying. I usually have a dish of salt set by so I can make salted egg yolks because you know I hate wasting egg yolks. Which you can also freeze them. The egg yolks? Yeah. Okay. If you do want to make the salt-cured egg yolks, we have a how-to article on our website. Link will be in the show notes. Or you can listen to episode 13 yeah. where we talk about it. Yeah. The other thing you could do, I suppose, is make a fruit curd that only uses egg yolks. Yeah. Like you could use curd. it back in your filling. Yeah. So here's what differentiates pavlova shells from regular meringues, and that's the addition of an acid. Right. Usually either vinegar or lemon juice. And it makes it really marshmallowy in the center. Right. Which goes really well with the fillings and that sort of thing. And, of course, you're shaping it into a shell. Every now and again, you'll see somebody who pipes the meringue right. into the shells, which looks beautiful. I'm but sure you can make any kind of shape that you want it to yeah, pretty with much. A, a divot in the center. Yeah. Again, make it your own. You can spoon it into whatever you shape you're like. You can pipe it. You can draw a shape like you were saying. You can yeah. draw a shape on parchment paper and fill it in there. And it really is just the meringue method where you're whipping the egg whites. You're adding the sugar gradually and then you fold in your acid. You make your shells however you want them. You could do a stirring. Yeah, you can. You can do like mini chocolate chips yeah. yep. or, you know, like a cereal of some sort, like a Rice Krispie. Or- I've seen them look really pretty with cocoa. You make your shells whatever shape you want. You bake them for an hour and a half, turn off the oven, leave them in there. What do you bake them at, 200? 
It's around 200. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I thought. It can be different depending on how your oven's calibrated, but I'm yeah. fairly certain that I do it on 200. I, yeah. I think I've done them once before, but I've uh-huh. done the meringues, not the pavlovas. Not the pavlovas. You did actual meringues. Yeah. 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 Like where you kind of like make a little pull up in a shape. The ones that you add stuff in, they're very good. They're very good. All of them are. Sugar and egg whites, good. You can't go wrong with it. It can look really pretty. So your finished shells, you can fill with whipped cream. You can fill with fruit curd, layer fruit yeah. on the top. You can do chocolate. Yeah. Chocolate drizzle. Nutella. You can. It's really good in there, actually. And I've seen a lot of these garnished with edible flowers. They look beautiful. Yeah, they're very pretty because they're all white and then whatever you put in just pops. Exactly. So you could also make these and go use our lemon curd recipe from the garden party. They were delicious. Mm -hmm. They were really, really good. Yeah. It works really well. Okay. So we're going to be moving on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So this week we're doing coop signs. Coop signs. For your brand new coop and run. Because you want to decorate it. That's right. So there's, I gotta say, tons and tons. tons. There are a lot of, yeah. And finding something that fits your personality and everything, you can definitely find it. There's lots of coop signs. Absolutely. Different materials and coop signs. Different materials, wooden, metal, like I've seen laser cut things, custom made with your farm name. Your farm name on there. All different places. So when we looked, we looked at multiple places, Mm -hmm. one of which was Etsy. Etsy. (laughs) We looked at Amazon. The third place is eBay. eBay. One of my favorite places. (laughs) That is one of your favorite places. Mm -hmm. And I have to send this shout out to my mom who's going to be listening to this. Stop looking up Cabbage Patch Kids on eBay. I I feel her pain. I mean, if there's a collectible that I'm looking for, I'll be on eBay searching. Oh, I guarantee you she's on there right now Mm -hmm. searching up some Cabbage Patch dolls. My mom loves Cabbage Patch dolls. Even when we were little kids. She loves them. There's all different signs. And there's, we listed like wood, metal, the black metal ones mm-hmm. are so pretty. I do think they're pretty. They have a very modern aesthetic to them. Like farmy, mm-hmm. but yet modern. Mm-hmm. And there's any kind of saying that you want. From the sublime to the absurd. Some of them that we like and some of them, nah, no, not so, so much. much no. I like a simple sign that has your farm name on it. I like the farm name. I like stuff like that. The metal signs, which are pretty with the chickens on. Mm-hmm. The other place we can mention was Tractor Supply. You do see signs there sometimes, yeah. Sometimes they have the metal ones, and I did get two longer metal ones there that I'm going to put up on the coop. Those are really cute. I actually saw a sheep crossing sign there that I regret not buying now. Yeah, they have, a, and usually they have the metal signs, which oh, are yeah, really pretty. And they're pretty durable. You can put them around your coop. You can put them in front of your run. Mm-hmm. You can put them on the door. Right. Uh, Some of these are very weather vane style, like they're on a long stem that you could stick in the ground. Yeah. They're really pretty. I mean, there's so many times. Here's one. Wicked chickens lay deviled eggs. <laughs> I've seen that a few times. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite's by far the custom ones where you can have your name or farm name on there. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a big round one here on Etsy. Mm-hmm. Custom hen house sign. It's $45 and it's your name and the coop and it's like customized that. and when a, it's established. It has a big hen silhouette and a chick silhouette. That, that's yeah. nice. That's really pretty and it's $45.60 plus. That's not terrible for not a custom sign. No. Terrible for mm-hmm. a custom sign. So if you like the metal, black metal signs, there's a whole bunch that you can go on. It can be personalized. Mm-hmm. If you like just the funny sayings, 
Those are all over there Amazon. Are tons of them. Yeah. If you think you don't have to look too far. No, Amazon for the funny saying one. If you want one that says fluffy butt hut, this you don't one have is, to look far. This one is so cute. I like it because it's got heritage breeds on it. Welcome to our coop, a good place to roost for the night. That's cute. And it looks like white face black Spanish. Yeah. Yes, they are. So really cute stuff. And this one is only $8.99 on Amazon. Nice. So if you want to decorate your coop, your run, Mm -hmm. you can do it. Here's the other thing. If you buy Purina food at certain times of the year, they give you a free tin sign. Well, that's cool. When you buy a bag of food. That's the funny thing. One of us feeds Purina and the other one feeds Neutrina. Yeah. So I do not get metal signs. I've gotten so many metal signs and I've never put them up, but I collect them. They are cute. The sayings are are cute. I really like them. Coop signs are a big thing. They're a way that you can personalize your run and the way you can decorate. Well, it certainly makes your coop look good on Instagram and Twitter. For those pictures. Yeah. The chickens probably can read it. They're like, why are they saying fluffy butt hut? Yes. Warning, attack chickens. How would you like it if I came up with some cute term for your butt and I said it every Friday (laughs) in public? They're probably like, why did they put a sign on that says, no matter what I say, not to open the gate? <laughs> <laughs> there's different ones. I mean, you have to really look through them. I think there's probably thousands. The metal ones seem to be averaging between $40 and $50. Yeah. The wooden ones, did we have an average price on them? No, I, I didn't really see a lot. But the metal ones, you can get anywhere from 5 bucks up. Most of the decent size ones are between 40 and 50 but you can find them in all price ranges. And on Etsy, you're going to look at at least probably 40 bucks, Probably. And my guess is if you get anything personalized, even if it's wood, it's going to be 40 plus. Probably. So if you have some good coop signs, send us pictures. Absolutely. If you tag us, I always try to give everyone a story, mm-hmm. put you out there for the day. Mm-hmm. I often wish on Instagram I could reshare Yeah, I know. That function would be really useful, Instagram. Like you can on Facebook. Right. But we can't. So what we do is we give a story. Right. And everybody who sees our stuff sees your stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you send us pics, we'll do that. And we'll Especially for the fifth time in this conversation, if you have a custom sign. (laughs) I really like the custom sign. Are you guessing that we're telling you custom signs are the way to go? That's what we like. That's what we like. It's more personal. You can put your farm name out there or your, you know, you could say this is Casper's Coop, whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cute, too. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to change the subject just a little bit before we end. Uh-huh. There's two things we want to ask everyone big favors for, if you can. If you're enjoying our show, if you really like it and you want to help us grow and you listen on Apple Podcasts, if you could leave us a written review that would help us immensely. We grow so much from reviews. On Especially Apple. when it comes to Apple, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be wonderful. We would greatly appreciate it. The second thing is, does everybody know we have Patreon? We do have a Patreon page set up. We've had it set up almost since the beginning of the podcast. So we have three levels of membership, a dollar, $3, and $5. The $3 and $5 a month membership get you a free bonus episode every month. every month. So right now there are at least six bonus episodes up there. We try to give our patrons very different kind of episodes and stuff that we don't talk about here. And for $5 a month, you get also a Zoom call with us monthly. All the fun. All the fun of sitting at our table. Zoom. Yeah. So if you're interested in those things, you can find the links in our Instagram bio. And that would be great. We just wanted to throw that out there. And we do have mugs and t-shirts. On our Etsy shop. Yes. Link in the show notes. Definitely. Okay, so should we go ahead and tell everybody what we're talking about next week? Next week's really interesting. It's kind of a New Zealand-themed show. Yes. So we're going to be doing the brown shaver chicken. Okay. 
We'll have a birdie report with Fiona. Then we're going to talk about holistic health and alternative medicine with chickens. I'm really interested in all of that. Mm-hmm. We'll be interviewing Andy Garcia, who is a holistic animal health practitioner. Cracking the eggs will be a New Zealand recipe, bacon and egg pie. That sounds so good. It really does. And for retail therapy, we're going to tell you about Andy's podcast. Sounds like a fun week. Can't yep. wait. So what should we tell everybody to do before we go? Hug your chickens every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. Bye-bye. We'll talk to you later. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.